We're going to dive into the Word a little sooner than we normally do, and our intention is just to go back into worship after we, uh, after we meditate on the, the person of Christ and the work of Christ. Amen? Um, a few weeks ago, and Mike said this, but we just felt like the Lord, well, I don't, I stepped out. I, was th- I think he said this, but I stepped out and went to the bathroom before I got up here, so <laughs> if he didn't, we just felt like the Lord a few weeks ago, probably about five weeks now, just, uh, just turn us and redirect us to put all attention and all glory on Jesus. And, uh, and I had been feeling, actually when Mike and Christy shared that with me, I had been feeling this, um, this pool to just preach about Jesus, just focus on who he is. I've had times in my life where, where I've had obedience issues. Has anyone had obedience issues <laughs> in your life? All right, just a reminder, let's turn off our cell phones. Let's put them all on silent right now so we don't get any interruptions during the, the thing. Anyone ever had an obedience issue? I have found in my life that instead of just focusing on doing it better, that when I experience obedience issues, I realize I have a faith issue. I don't believe Christ is who he said he is. And so in my obedience issues, I turn and I meditate on the person who I'm called to obey. Jesus, I want to encounter you. And I, and I open up passages in my Bible and, and, I, and I turn everything off and I fast and I pray and I say, Jesus, I actually say, Holy Spirit, would you reveal the glory of Christ to me? And as he's revealed to me and I put my faith in him, as he's revealed to me and I put my hope is renewed in him and in the glory that he is going to bring and my love is renewed for him, then I find it a lot easier to obey him, right? It's, it's, not, a, it's not someone telling me to obey him, it's, it's me desiring to obey him because the desires of my heart for him have been stirred by the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so we're just gonna do that this morning. We're just going to put our attention and focus the eyes of our heart on Jesus, and we're gonna ask the Holy Spirit to kindle that flame on the inside of us, right? We want it to burn brighter. We wanna be consumed with the passion that the Holy Spirit has for the sun. Just like the sun was consumed with passion for the Father. We wanna be consumed with passion for him. So Holy Spirit, we just ask for that grace right now. These words are nothing unless you pull back the veil on our heart, unless you stir the fire within us. But Lord, but Holy Spirit, when you do that, these words can pierce. (laughs) And the word of God can, can be received and go deep and be planted and bear fruit. So we ask you for that this morning. Lord, we ask for soft hearts right now. 
We ask for good soil (laughs) that the seed would go into again and be watered again. Lord, where our hearts are dry, where our hearts are hard, we just ask you to soften them right now. Soften them, Holy Spirit, right now. Where our hearts have weeds, Lord, we ask, convict us even today. Let us pull the weeds that are growing so that we can have great fruitfulness in our life. We commit again, Lord, as a congregation to great fruitfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look at uh, Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start in, uh, someone said, I knew it. <laughs> I've, if I talk, if you've heard me for the last couple of weeks, I've really been only praying and talking out of Colossians, so those that have been around me, they're not uh, surprised that we're going to take a look at this today. So, Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to focus primarily on verses 15 through 23, though we're going to start in verse 12. Um, In theological circles, this is called the hymn of Christ, okay? Paul is overflowing in Colossians, and he goes into about six verses concerning who this God is and who this person is that we are serving. And it's... It's almost as he he goes into it from an overflow of talking about how we've been delivered from the domain of darkness and we've been established in the kingdom of the son that the father loved. And then he just talks about the son. So we're just going to talk about the son this morning. Amen? So Colossians chapter 1. Now I'm just going to start with the prayer in verse 9. This is how Paul was praying for the church of Colossae. Now it's interesting, because in chapter two, we see that Paul has never visited the church of Colossae. But one of his disciples, Epaphras, is that, I got it wrong. Is it Epaphras? Yeah, did I say that right? No? Yeah, Epaphras, there you go, all right. You read it a bunch and then you say it one time and you're like, oh, did I say that right? It's Epaphras, chapter four. One of his disciples probably was raised up in Ephesus when Paul was teaching for two years in that city, the word of God night and day. Epaphras probably encountered Paul in Ephesus because Ephesus and Colossae were close. And then Epaphras most likely took the gospel to Colossae and established the church of Colossae. And Paul is sitting in prison now This is toward the end of his ministry, and he's hearing from Epaphras what is going on in Colossae. And I just think that's interesting that Paul has never visited this church, but he's laboring for them in prayer. And I just want to put that as a vision before you. When you hear of the work and the love, when you hear of people responding to Jesus in love and in faithfulness, and in obedience, when you hear of testimonies of maybe Jesus Image Church in Florida, or what's going on in Bethel, or what's going on in IHOP, or what's going on in Mozambique, just commit in your heart to give thanks. Even though that hasn't touched you, you are a part of the body of Christ, and to pray for them. 
I have been so convicted this week. I hear of so many awesome testimony, and I just hear of the testimony, and I might give a, a thank you, God, or a hallelujah, but do I stop and do I pray for those works to, to increase in the knowledge of God and to bear fruit in every good work and for God to keep them from temptation and from the evil one? So let's be a people that just rejoice in our heart when we hear the work of God in other places that we haven't visited. Amen? Amen. So Paul is praying for a church that he's never been to, and he says in verse 9, he says, since I've heard, since from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So Paul is praying, though they have received Jesus, though they have been filled with the Spirit, he's still asking for them to be filled. He says, Lord, fill them with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, I like to replace when I pray, instead of the word will, I love to, to say the word desire. And when I think of the knowledge of his will, instead of just head knowledge, I like to, to think of an experience with Jesus. Now, our minds need to think rightly about Jesus. Good thinking, biblical understanding is wonderful. But what we cry out for is, oh, would I experience afresh the very burning heart that is inside of you. The desires of God and that I would be filled with them. Sometimes we have obedient obedience issues because we have desire issues that are off in our hearts. But when we ask the Holy Spirit, fill me with the, give me an experience of Christ and fill me with what he desires. Let me burn for what he burns for. Our desires begin to change. We actually have affection when we think of getting up in the morning and spending time with the Lord. We actually get excited about those opportunities where we can speak the word of God to someone else who, does, who might not know Jesus or to encourage our brother in Christ who does know Jesus. And, and our desires start to change. Amen? Praise God. We're on this journey of salvation. How many of you know you are being saved, right? <laughs> Has anyone made it in this room yet? Does anyone have glorified bodies Yet? Is anyone before the throne of God? Yet? No. We are being saved. Salvation is a process. And I love justification. I love that the penalty of my sin has been removed before the just judge by the blood of Jesus. But I am on the journey that the power of sin is overcome in my life by the desires of the Holy Spirit. That's called sanctification. And then I'm looking forward to when there's no possibility of sin, and that's called glorification. <laughs> You're like, wait, I never thought about that. No possibility of sin? That's where this whole thing is going. Ooh, and it's a good journey, right? But I just want to encourage you. You weren't saved when you prayed a prayer. The process of salvation began in you. 
And we're going to get to that at the beginning of this prayer, at the end of this sermon, if I ever get to verse 23. But we need to pray that we are filled, and Paul is praying for them. And then he says, this filling is going to overflow into verse 10. You are going to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. I, this is, this should be the, the, the mission statement of every one of our lives, right? To fully please God, to bear fruit in every good work, and to increase in the knowledge of God. Not to stay where you're at in your journey, but to increase in your experience of Jesus. Let's go on to verse 11. He says, And that you would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And we need that strength, right? And I'm blown away by this every time I I read it. We're to be strengthened with all power to what level, to what measure? According to his glorious might. We have access to all the might, to all the glorious power of God to be strengthened. For what? For endurance and patience. And not just that, with joy. Amen? I want to be a happy Christian, even when I'm being squeezed, I want to experience the strength for endurance and patience with joy. I mean, Paul was writing this from a prison cell. He could have left out with joy. I'm sure he had some joy issues going on, but he goes, no, there is strength in God for me to sit in this prison cell and encourage this church, and I have joy in my heart to do it. I mean, think of the endurance and patience Paul was expressing and giving an example to. He could have wallowed. He could have said, woe is me. No, he took up a pen, and he's like, I have an opportunity to encourage the church. I'm going to do it. Wow. Okay, that's good. I'm convicted. All right. And then we get to verse 12, and there's kind of a transition here in verse 12. Paul, Paul kind of goes from praying to preaching. And if you're an intercessor and if you're a preacher, you understand those two have a very fine line, right? (laughs) Sometimes you're preaching and you just go into prayer and sometimes you're praying and you just go into preaching. And Paul goes, giving thanks to the Father. And then he just wants to talk about the Father. He goes, guys, the Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of saints in the light. Now, fathers have inheritances. Some fathers have a little bit more inheritance than other fathers. But fathers have inheritance. And he says, and your father has qualified you to share in his inheritance. How were we qualified? We were adopted. We were brought in to the family of God. We were grafted in to the root of that olive tree that supports us, that is Christ. Amen? He said, I want you. You weren't qualified. You were outside of the family. You weren't an heir yet, but he stretched forth his hand in his son and he brought us into the kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for adopting us. Thank you, Lord, for qualifying us. And then in that qualification, 
He releases strength so that we can stay faithful, so that we can actually experience the inheritance. He doesn't just adopt us and leave us. He adopts us, and then he molds us, and he trains us, and he shapes us, and he spends time with us. Hallelujah. He's a good father. So he brings us in, and then he keeps us. Why? Because he has a, a big inheritance and a glorious inheritance and a wonderful inheritance that he wants to share with a big, glorious, wonderful family. I mean, I think often in the Trinity, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, they were, they were fully content and fully happy. It's fun. It, it, we don't say God's happy a lot, but God is happy. One of our friends, Julie Meyer, in, the, in the Kansas City, she used to sing about, we have a good, good father, and he has a happy heart. And I just loved singing that when I was a young man, because I mostly thought God was mad and grumpy. At least that's how he was presented before me with like preachers, like, he's mostly not happy with your life. And we kind of feel that from time to time, right? That's the accusation of the enemy. God has a happy heart, and he delights in his children. I forgot where I was at. Okay, so he's qualified us. And we're going to share in an inheritance of the saints in the light. Verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Paul goes, you used to be in the domain of darkness. That outer darkness that Jesus describes in the book of Matthew, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, that was our inheritance. But the Father saw us in that place, and he goes, I want to give them a different inheritance. Now, it's interesting, as I was studying this week, this word transferred in the ancient time, uh, this is... I was getting this from uh, a linguistic scholar named William Barclay, and I want to qualify that because when you read William Barclay, he actually ended the days of his faith not in a good place. He, he became a universalist, which that's not good, and so I'll describe that later. But in this point, he was good, okay? So, so he said this word transferred, um, it was what was talked about when a kingdom in that time, would overcome another kingdom, they would take all the possessions and all the people of the conquered kingdom back to the kingdom of the victorious. And we saw this with Nebuchadnezzar and with Israel and with Daniel and with Ezekiel. Daniel, he was taken from Israel to Babylon and set up in the court of Babylon. All the gold from the temple was taken from Israel to Babylon to increase Babylon's wealth. Well, what this is saying is the Father has conquered the domain of darkness. And all the things that the domain of darkness owned, it doesn't own anymore. And you've been transferred from the domain of darkness to the victorious kingdom of God that he has set his son over. Isn't that wonderful? God is victorious. And we are to walk in that overcoming 
conquering victory that transferred us from darkness into light. Come on. And then it says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Now, I grew up with New King James, and I don't like how the ESV leads this out. It's, New King James says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. The conquering king shed his blood so that you could be purchased out of slavery to darkness into the kingdom of the son that he loves. The blood of the cross. We will forever look back at that day in the age to come and give Jesus glory. Because he is going to lead a kingdom that is going to ever increase. He is going to lead a government that will have no end. And as it gets better and better and better, we will look back at the day where he shed his blood and said, none of it would have been possible. I could have never been here. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Can you imagine the glory that you will experience a billion years from now, having a billion years of history of experiencing that glory and the gratefulness that will be in your heart when you look back at the cross? When you stare at those scars that are still in his hand, that is still in his side, when you look upon the slain lamb, you are going to say, worthy are you. Oh, let's just say it right now. Worthy are you, Jesus. Say it as I take a drink of water here. Worthy are you, Jesus, to receive blessing and glory and honor and power for you were slain. And by your blood, you have purchased men for God out of every tribe, out of every tongue, out of every people, out of every nation. And you have made us a kingdom of priests and we will reign with you on the earth. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And then from this place, Paul kind of goes into a beautiful Holy Spirit-led digression a little bit. And he goes, let's just talk about Jesus. We've talked about how he's redeemed you. We've talked about how the Father has delivered you through him. Now let's just set our eyes on him. And he starts by saying, and he, this is verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. This word image is where we get our word icon, and it means likeness, but it can also mean manifestation. So he is the likeness of God, as in looking into a mirror, okay? If the father was to look into a mirror, what he would see is the son. Isn't that crazy? But not only in likeness, in manifestation. We had heard descriptions of who the father was in the Old Testament. We had seen these moments where, where God shows up and does things in the Old Testament. But God wanted us to know him in such a way that there would never be a question of his love. There would never be a question of who he was, both in his severity and in his love. And so he set forth his son. So his son 
could show us that for three years of ministry. So when we see Jesus, we see the Father. Someone said it. I think, I think Kevin said it. Or someone else said it. I forget who said it. But Philip, in John 14, he says, Jesus, okay, we know it's getting a little intense. We've been hearing you say you're going to the cross. We're scared. <laughs> I think that's what Philip was saying. He goes, but if you could just pull back the veil, and if you could just show us the Father in all his glory, Philip goes, it, it will be enough for us. Like, that will sustain us. And Jesus, in the spirit of truth, answered him this way, Philip, if you've seen me, you've already seen the full unfolding of the Father. That is beautiful. Doesn't that make you want to, like, just run to your bedroom and start just reading the Gospels right now? That makes me want to read the Gospels. Holy Spirit, show me again who the Father is in the face of Christ. And then when we see him, we fall in love with him. When we see him, we put our trust in him. When we see him, we don't want to disobey him because we know he is a just judge as well as a loving father. So we want to remove sin from our life, amen? We're going to talk about that in a little bit, but he's the image of the invisible God. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just thank the Lord. <laughs> Lord, we just thank you. We would have been dark. We would have been walking in blindness concerning the love of the Father. Jesus, we thank you for taking up the mantle of the incarnation and showing us the Father as you lived a perfect life. And those final words on the cross, forgive them for they know not what they do. Lord, the forgiveness of our Father. We thank you, Jesus, and we acknowledge you as the image of God. We acknowledge you as the radiance, the very radiance of his glory, the exact imprint of his nature, as Hebrews 1 tells us. Amen. Amen. Let's go on to this next phrase. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Now, don't think firstborn in the way of like procreation here. Think firstborn with the idea of, of status in a family. Okay, in Paul's day, a firstborn son had a lot of responsibility on his shoulders because he was supposed to be the next figurehead, the next leader of the family. And there was a time when both the father would still be alive, but he would hand the leadership of the family over to the firstborn. And Jesus has stepped in to co-lead, to co-king, to co-whatever, to be equal to his father in leadership. This is what almost got him stoned time after time. He's saying he's the firstborn of God. And so when they would hear son of God, they would hear equal in leadership status to God. We gotta kill him for that. That's heresy. But it wasn't, because it was backed up with signs, it was backed up with wonders, and it was backed up, most importantly, with the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. 
He really is the firstborn of all creation. Now, in church history, this phrase and other phrases like it have led people into heresy to where they have preached Jesus is the first of God's creation, meaning that the Father created him, and that through the first creature, God gave the right to create all the earth, okay, and, and the heavens and the earth. Um, that's what the Joseph, Jeho- Jehovah's Witness, thank you, that's what the Jehovah's Witness believe. The Watchtower Bible is actually even reworded here. It's weird because it's not in the original text. It's the ancient heresy of Arianism, and it's why the uh, Nicene Council in three, around 300 AD got together to meet because they had, the, the leaders of the church said, this is not right. And so they got all the scriptures and they spent weeks together and they came out with, Jesus is very God, a very God. He wasn't born, but he was eternally begotten by God. Amen? Or he wasn't created, but eternally begotten. And in his status as God, he came and saved us. That's basically the the chunk of the Nicene Creed that talks about Jesus. But let's go on to this next phrase, and it helps... Uh, It helps describe firstborn of all creation. This is what it means. For by him, all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth. Now, in the Watchtower Bible, they actually add something. They say, for by him, all other things were created. It's weird, okay? And they have it in parentheses. It's just, it's not truth, okay? By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, And then Paul just wants to be specific. He's like, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, he brings in the angelic realm there. He goes, all things were created through him and for him. Now, I love that, through him and for him. This is, again, another mission statement of my life. I wake up in the morning. Why am I alive today? I'm alive for him. (laughs) I was made by him, and I was made for him. What am I supposed to do in my job today? Oh, I have these duties. Oh, no, no, no. I'm supposed to do my job for him to bring him glory. What am I supposed to do as a husband today? Oh, I have to do that, and I have to call AAA, and I really do have to call AAA. I have a flat tire that I didn't get to take care of yesterday. (laughs) Praise God for AAA. (laughs) No, 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 no. But in calling AAA, I'm not, I'm doing this for him. And I love this, that it's not only that he made all things, but through him all things were made. The Father had participation. Let's just go to John chapter 1. I love John chapter 1, because this is the place where it probably speaks to it most clearly in the Bible. Let's go to verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then verse 3, and all things were made through him. See that through him? 
There was a, a relationship between the Father and the Son and the Spirit in creation. And the Father had participation in making the earth through Jesus, but Proverbs 8 says Jesus was his master craftsman. It's so good. This is the God we serve. This is the resurrected man you serve. The Father, through him, made all things. And then John just wants to throw this in there to make sure we don't miss it. And without him was not anything made that was made. John goes, Jesus wasn't made because without him, nothing that was made was made. Jesus is eternal in his nature. Thank you, Lord. That should blow our minds just a little bit, right? We can't quite get our heads around that, right? But doesn't it cause awe and worship in your heart for Jesus? I like to think of, like, he's getting complimented as a carpenter for maybe a table that he made, and he holds back that he also made the wood at the beginning of creation that made the table. That's humility. He gets complimented, he gets, you know, complimented by, wow, the power when you just healed that body. And he goes, oh, I spoke forth all creation by the word of my power. Now, just as we're in John 1, let's look at a few other verses because later on in Colossians, we're gonna hear about that in Christ, the fullness of God dwelt in a body. And it's going to use that word fullness over and over again. But John uses that word fullness here in John chapter 1. Let's look at verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, and he's full of grace and truth. And let's look at verse 16. It says, and from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Because God was dwelling in his Son fully. And from this fullness, what have we received? Grace. Upon grace, upon grace. It's like Moses saying, now from that fullness, we actually could have received judgment, right? God could have shown up on earth and instead of kneeling and healing the woman who was caught in adultery, he could have pronounced judgment. But no, from his fullness, Jesus described, or Jesus presented the God of grace. It's the same thing that Moses experienced in Exodus 34. In 33, he says, show me your glory. In 34, God passes before him and says, the Lord, the Lord God, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger. Oh my goodness. Let's just stop again. We're just going to thank the Lord. Lord, we just thank you. From your fullness, Jesus, we might have received judgment. But from your fullness, you wanted to display grace 
upon grace. And from your fullness, we still are receiving grace upon grace for those who accept it. Lord, we just ask you right now, tear the veil. Those that are opposing you, those that are rebelling against you, those that think that there's a better, more happy, more fulfilled way of life outside of the will of God, bring them back in Jesus' name. And let them receive grace upon grace upon grace in Jesus' name. All right, let's go back to Colossians. I want us, we need to have time to worship, so I need to speed through these. These are fun. I just, I feel like, I was, uh, this week, I was just like, Lord, I, I don't know you the way I should. <laughs> Meaning, I've sang these phrases, I've meditated on these phrases, I've, I've prayed these phrases, but I still feel that I'm just swimming on the surface in an ocean of depth concerning this revelation. And I love that, because that makes me know it's eternal. I've been walking with the Lord in a measure, with a measure of faithfulness for about 25 years now. And I've had a heart to encounter him, to go deep in him. And I still feel like, whoa, I, I know you, but I don't really know you. <laughs> like, I wanna know you more. <laughs> I still feel like Moses, show me your glory. Every time that prayer gets prayed, I say, yes, because there is more for me to experience of you. So we just, we don't want to be like, oh, we, yeah, image of the invisible God, got that one. Firstborn of all creation, got that one. All things made, we're good. Like, we want to just pray for that divine unknowing so that we can know again, right? <laughs> Verse 17. Of Colossians 1. Just if we didn't get it, Paul wants one more phrase, and he is before all things. John says, in the word, the word was with God, the word was God, and he was in the beginning with God. Paul says, he's the firstborn. He's the priority of the family. All things came from him, but just know he was before the all things that came from him. And then it says this, and in him, all things hold together. Now just ponder that for a second. Think of all things. That's a lot, right? Now think of this. In him, all things just didn't come from him, but all things are being sustained by him right now. The car comes out of the assembly plant, the manufacturer, and it's made. But then it kind of just runs on its own without the manufacturer. We're not like that. We are the car, and if our maker stopped willing our existence for a minute, we would vanish. So would everything else, by the way. He holds the, ver the very breath I'm about to breathe and the very words I'm about to speak come because he wills my life to stay in existence, to remain in existence. That's who he is. Hebrews 1 says he holds the whole universe together by the word of his power. So when I said think all things, and you just thought 
the chairs and the people in this room. Think of the stars and the galaxies. Jesus spoke them forth and they remain where they are because he is pouring out power to sustain them. Guys, let that vision of Christ just fill your heart with confidence. The next time something rises up that speaks a word against him, the next time someone tries to intimidate you for being a Christian, just know that the very God that they are cursing is holding their life together right then. Now that's amazing to me. And this causes me to go, God, I think you were very merciful. Because there's been times of unintentional and intentional sin in my life. And you still held me together. You still sustained me in rebellion. Then this revelation comes in my heart and I go, I never want to rebel again. I don't want darkness to creep in again. I want to magnify the very sustainer of my existence with my life. So he is before all things. In him, all things hold together. And then verse 18. This kind of feels like a letdown. <laughs> and he is the head of the body, the church. And we're like, wah, wah. Because <laughs> we know how weak and broken we are, right? I mean, like, maker of all things, image of the invisible God, before all things. In him, the whole universe holds together. And he humbles himself to be the head of weak and broken people like you and me. The humility of him. I feel like he should be the head of way more glorious people than us, right? <laughs> That's why I was talking about the letdown. But I think in God's mind, I think this is one of his highest joys. He's the head of the body. He's doing this all to have a bride that is dressed in white, that is glorious before him, that is ruling and reigning by his side forever. And he's our head. Just turn with me to chapter 2. And Paul just talks about who he is as the head a little bit more. Let's start with verse 18 in chapter 2. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, and worship of angels. There was, this was the false teaching that was going on in the church of Colossae. Probably what Epiphras was reporting to Paul. And he's um, kind of combating this. And, and let me just digress. Real. This is amazing. Because Paul really is. There was empty philosophy. There was deceit that it talks about in chapter 1. And then there was this like Jewish weird um, asceticism, worship of angels. They were going on in details about visions. They were puffed up uh, without reason by a sensuous mind. When Paul corrects an issue in the church of Colossae, he doesn't start with the issue. He starts with the glory of Jesus. Now that should just give you divine insight into how to lead your own life, to how to lead your family, and to how to... to to combat false doctrine in the church, we don't have to give it much focus. We just have to preach the true. When we preach the true, when people fall in love with what is truth, 
then when they see the counterfeit, they go, That's, that, that feels weird. That, just, that smells. That, that doesn't smell like my mom's home cooking. That smells like McDonald's or something. That doesn't smell like, you know? You know when you've had a really good, okay, all right, this is funny. I wasn't thinking of, of this. But I just, I wasn't here last week because I drove my son to Phoenix, Arizona. He was looking at Grand Canyon University. And as I'm driving, I'm like, got some time in Phoenix, what should we do? And I remember a Netflix show I watched about the best pizza restaurant in the world. And it was in Phoenix, Arizona. And my heart leapt with joy. I'm not kidding. Reese was like, whoa, Dad, calm down. I'm like, no, Reese, you don't understand. It's the best slice of pizza in the world. And it really is. It's ranked as the best slice of pizza. It's called a Pizza Bianco. And it's expensive pizza, let me tell you that. This ain't no mod pizza for $10. Um, but we sat down at the restaurant, and it, and it, it, it lived up to form. It was, I don't know if it was like placebo. I, you know, I was just like so psyched up. It was the best slice of pizza in the world. Now, that's the true, right? Well, after you eat the best, after you taste what is so good, then you go back and you taste Pizza Hut. It's not that good, right? Jesus is the best. And I can't believe I used the best slice of pizza in the world to describe him. Lord, forgive me, but maybe it hit home for a few people. Okay. So Paul starts with Jesus. He doesn't start with the counterfeit. He doesn't speak against the counterfeit. He says, I want to speak about the truth. I want to speak about the pure. I want to speak about the best and call you back to believing in him. And then it says this in verse 19 about the head. He goes, let no one disqualify you. And he says, and not holding fast to the head, meaning they were supposed to be holding fast to the head. This is Colossians 2, verse 19. And then he describes the head. He says, you need to hold fast to him. And he says, why? From whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. That's what Jesus does as our head. He nourishes us. Because of him, we get knit together in unity. Guys, when we have a unity problem, we have a Jesus problem. We need to go back to Jesus together, right? And humble ourselves where we're not in unity. Fix our eyes on him who we are all supposed to be looking like, supposed to be pursuing. And if it's not in Christ, it shouldn't be in us, right? If your eye is good, your eye is the lamp of the body, the whole body will be full of light. If the body of Christ's eye is good, if we look to Jesus for what is true, for what is pure, for what is holy, then the body of Christ is going to be filled with light and not filled with darkness. Amen? Jesus preached that in Sermon on the Mount and in Luke chapter 12, I think, or chapter 6. Yes, chapter 12. He preached that to us as individuals, but I think it can be applied to us corporately, right? When we look to the head and we're nourished by the head, when we look to the head and we're knit together by the head, when we look to the head, 
we will grow with a growth that comes from God. Again, I'm just going to spend the afternoon reading the Gospels because I'm encouraged here. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Back to chapter 1. And he is the beginning. This is verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So he says he's the beginning here. I don't think Paul here is calling us back to think about him being before all things again or him being that all things came from him. I think what Paul is doing here is I think he's transitioning, okay? He's talking about Jesus in relationship to the church. Jesus is the head of the body, but he's also the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. I think what Paul's doing here is saying he's also, he's not just before all things and all things came from him. He's also the author of the new beginning, of the new creation. How is he doing that? Well, he's the firstborn of that new creation. He's the firstborn of the resurrection. He's the first fruits of the age to come. And through him, we get to become new creations, the old passing away, the new coming forth. He's everything. (laughs) He's the beginning of natural creation, and he's the beginning of the new creation, the firstborn from the dead. Meaning, amongst all the dead right now, and in the resurrection, amongst all the dead that is coming, Jesus has status, as he has the supreme status in that place as well. Amen? He's the highest. He's going to be the highest of the kings of the earth. And no one will think that he's making a power grab. You know why? Because when he had all the power, he laid it down for you and me. He didn't serve himself with his power. He was selfless. And when you think about him with the glorified mind and the glorified body that he will give you, I think that revelation will bring us to our knees for eternity and we'll just worship. Let's close this out. Verse 19. Oh, no, well, we got to say this, that in everything he might be preeminent. preeminent. We just sang a whole song about it. We spent 30 minutes in worship saying, and all things you would have the first place, and all things you would have preeminence. That's what we're talking about. That in all things... This is who Jesus is so that he can be the one lifted up for all of eternity. Amen. That he can have the surpassing glory, the ultimate exaltation in the universe. There will be none that rises higher than Jesus. In all things, he would be supreme. He would have the first place. And then it says in verse 19, It starts with this word for, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So all those descriptions that we could say, we could say the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation, all things coming from him, before all things, in him all things hold together, the head of the body, the new beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That's a good list, right? This next verse lets us know why or because why? That's the answer to this next verse. 
Because for in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's why he can be all of these things. That's why he is all these things. Because in him the Father loved to dwell. Isn't that wonderful? But not only does the Father love to dwell, let's go to the next verse. It's also in, in him and through him the Father loved to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So it goes right back to the cross. The Father was pleased to dwell in Jesus, and it pleased the Father that through him he was bringing back all of creation to himself. Andrew and I were talking about this, and we were going, I think all things being reconciled to the Father actually really means all things being reconciled to the Father. Like not just us as a person, but, but the world and the soil that he made that he called good and the angelic realm right now that is in, there's, there's angels in rebellion to Jesus right now. By the end of it, there will be nothing in the new heavens and in the new earth that is not reconciled to the Father. Now, we want to be careful here, because this is where people build a doctrine of universalism. They say that even Satan is going to be reconciled to the Father, and the demons are going to be reconciled to the Father, and anyone in hell is going to be reconciled to the Father, and there won't be an eternal punishment. And just read your Bible. That's not true. Okay? You have to explain away verse after verse after verse. What this means, though, is he's going to remove everything that is in rebellion to him from creation. He will throw that rebellion into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, and he will make the new heavens and the new earth, and nothing in the new heavens and the new earth will not be reconciled to himself. That's what he's doing, okay? So if someone talks to you about, no, God's going to forgive all things in Colossians chapter 1, just, just go, nah. Just go, you need to repent and give glory to Jesus, and then you need a renewed mind in the Word of God, okay? You can just say that with boldness and love. Boldness and love. And then verse 21, we'll land this ship. He's made peace by the blood of his cross, and then Paul has talked universally, right? Of the, 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 the macro, the vastness of what Christ is doing, and then he brings it home to them as individuals. He goes, and you, now let's talk about how you interact with Christ. And you, who were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. And that's who we were. When we were in the domain of darkness, our sins had separated us from God. Isaiah 59 verse 2. Your sins have separated you from God. Not that God has separated his self from you. Your sins have caused the gap. But now we're not alienated, right? We, in that separation, we were hostile in our mind. We were insubordinate to holiness and to the Holy Ghost. Don't tell me what to do. I'll live my own life. I'll create my own joy. I'll be my own God. I'll have my own happiness. We were hostile in mind. And now we get to be submissive in our minds to God. And we experience that Romans 8 life as our minds are focused on Christ, right? 
A mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. A mind set on the spirit produces life and peace. And we were doing evil deeds out of the overflow. Verse 22, he has now reconciled in the body of flesh by his death in order to present you. I love how he uses three and then three. Now we get to be holy, we get to be blameless, and we get to be above reproach. He pulls us into his own holiness, covers us by his righteousness, teaches us how to be righteous. He takes away the accusation that the enemy is constantly speaking over our lives. In chapter 2, he calls it the record of debt that was set against us in the legal court, and he nails it to the cross. And he goes, they can't be blamed anymore because of their sin. If the enemy has been blaming and accusing you because of your sin, you run to this verse and you say, I am holy. I am blameless. I am a sinner saved by grace. I'm not what I'm going to be, but I am not what I once was. <laughs> Praise God. We're in the middle. We're working out our salvation with fear and with trembling. And you don't go backwards. You take this verse and you say, no, the vision of my life is holiness. The vision of my life is blamelessness. Above reproach from the accusation of the enemy. And we're going to end here in the next verse. Verse 23. If. Now that's all wonderful, right? What we just described. We, but we have a warning here. Paul says, all of those things are true about you and will be true about you in glorification if you continue in the faith, if you remain stable, if you remain steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and which I, Paul, became a minister. He goes, it takes perseverance. And there's a camp that teaches sovereign grace comes out of more of the Calvinist camp, the Reform camp. And it teaches that God has chosen you. And at the end of the day, even at the end of the day, though you chose God, he chose you and his choosing of you, which is true, God has chosen us, but his choosing of you takes away your free will and you are saved by his choice. You are saved not by responding to his grace. I don't think that's the Bible. There's another camp that preaches free grace, which comes out of the more dispensational preaching. And it preaches that once you were saved, God forgave all your sins in the past, which is true. But he also, on the day you prayed that prayer of salvation, he also gave, forgave all your future sins that you would commit. And that you could, and that you're once saved, always saved. I don't think that's true either. I just think the New Testament speaks to this. And we could go to lots of verses in the New Testament. They say this, you were holy, you were blameless, you were in the process of salvation, and you need to continue. Don't give up today. Don't give up tomorrow. Reach, press for the high calling of God that has been purchased for you in Christ Jesus, but you have to apply that purchasing power. 
Grace has been purchased. And that is for everyone in the earth. But grace has to be applied. It has to be chosen. It has to be pursued. Amen? And again, you're not there yet. I'm not there yet. Glorification is the day when there's no possibility of sin. Hallelujah. But I'm not what I once was, right? I'm moving forward, right? And so in the moving forward, we continue, and we're stable, and we're steadfast. Let's, uh, let's stand. Worship team, if you wouldn't mind coming back up. I'm going to invite Mike to come up and, uh, and just, you had a wonderful response in your heart, and I just wondered if you could uh, lead us a little bit. We're just going to, we're going to take a little time. I encourage you not to go right now. I encourage you just to, let's just stay put for a minute, and we're just going to respond in worship to the glory of Jesus and to the wonder of his salvation. Amen. I just felt as well. What a beautiful time to take communion as, as we've just been talking about Jesus and who he is. And so, but I, I, I felt this caution too. I just, uh, so I'll just speak to it. It's interesting how we as humans, we, we always try to take something that's actually like tangible. Um, and that, you know, it, even as the, we have the cracker and the, and the juice, which is the, the body and the blood of Jesus, I, I think sometimes we can even focus in on, on that. And uh, I, I mean, I know even in some denominations and things, it's like they take it so seriously that it's like that is, that is the blood and it, it is the body. And I think the, not I think, I know, the focus has to go back to Jesus, has to be on him. And I was, I was looking up in, uh, you know, when the Israelites were in the, in the desert and they were getting bitten by snakes and they were being, they were dying. Um, and the Lord had Moses build this bronze serpent. And so that, and he said, now if you look upon this, you'll be healed. And the idea was is that this was a representation of Jesus and the foreshadowing of what was to come. It was beautiful. It was amazing. But then you go to, to it's, I think it's 2 Kings 18, and it talks about Hezekiah and his earlier years and, and how he's tearing down the Asherah poles and the, 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 the idols and these things. And he includes in there and he smashes the bronze serpent to pieces. The very thing that God had Moses set in place to heal the people as a foreshadowing of Jesus, it became an idol. Just, I mean, he fits it right in there with the other idols, and he speaks specifically to that one. And so my, I think I just feel this caution, too, like, even though it's like a good thing, and, you, and you, I think if we hadn't read, read that, we would, if somebody would, if somebody ever said, oh, that, that snake became an idol, that, that bronze serpent became an idol, people would go, no, 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 there's no way, because God, God did it, it was a good thing. 
but it did. And I, I do feel that even like sometimes like you know, we take communion, but we don't actually have our eyes on Jesus. And sometimes these things just become idols or they just become kind of like traditions. They just become things that we do. I remember back in, I think it was 2020, all COVID was hitting all this stuff. And we were taking communion and, and the Lord just said, no elements. <laughs> I'm like, what? And that, that's what communion is. We got to have the cup and we got to have, he's like, no, I just, just eyes on me. And so we are going to take it with elements today, <laughs> in spite of all that I just said. <laughs> but, I, but I want to I just, that, that we would focus on Jesus, on who he is. We're going to sing some songs again. We're going to just sing about Jesus. But there is a shifting that is going on right now that the Lord is doing in the church. And uh, I don't just want to be a part of it and kind of like jump in. I want to be at the forefront of it, uh, of this, that he becomes front and center again of everything. And not even front and center. He is, he is the only thing. <laughs> There is, and he's not a thing, but he's the only one <laughs> that he is all in all, everything to us. <sighs> and in our lives, as we're, as we're just going day to day, it just, I mean, I feel like what Marcus preached today, man, you need, I want to go back and listen to it again and again and again. <laughs> I've never heard these scriptures spoken with such clarity. It was beautiful. We, like he said, we have just touched the surface. Don't think we have this figured out. Don't think we know this thing. I've heard people that literally have this entire thing memorized and they actually turn from Jesus. It's because Jesus even says, you know the scriptures, but do you know me? There's a difference. Everything has to come back to Him. Not, I don't, I'm not making light of the Scriptures because they're beautiful. and they, they give us such insight into who He is. And it's, 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 it's a spoken word revealed to us in the Word of God. But, but it's all eyes on Him. The, the elements really at the end of the day don't matter. But Jesus was using it to, to, as this, to say, like, when you do these things, like, Remember me. Remember my blood. Remember my broken body. But, but sometimes I think it just, it almost just becomes another like tradition, ritual, things, thing that we do. And we don't actually spend the time to, to meditate on what he's actually done for us and who he is. And then there's that scripture, I always remember just that, where it says it's the traditions of man that actually nullify the word of God, that nullify Jesus. So we're going to, oh, and there was this statement I just said this morning, I just felt like, whatever's at the center of our life, whatever our focus is on, that's what's going to get glorified in our life. If Jesus is not the, fully the center of your life, 
then other things, whatever it is, will be glorified in your life. And, and I don't know that any of us are there. I think we're all, what we're realizing is like, oh, we have, we have a long way to go. We're in this process. I love it. We're, we are in the process of the sanctification. We're, we're being made holy as He is holy. It's a beautiful process, but there is a, that we would continue in the faith together. So would you just put your arms out as we, I feel like before, actually before we even take communion, Luna, will you just lead us in worship? And we're just going to begin to set our eyes back on Jesus. And we'll take communion in a minute here, but let's just, let's fully set our hearts on him. And, and and in that, there is a, there is this, the recentering that is happening. Actually, let me speak to this verse as Marcus was preaching. Don't, don't leave. Oh. <laughs> I feel like what Marcus was doing, it's, it says this in 2 Corinthians 3. It says, uh, he talks about, this is from glory to glory, this new glory. And, uh, and it says, it's only in Christ that that this veil is taken away. And so there is a veil that is being removed. And I, I don't believe it is, it's not been fully removed even from us. There's still things like that we're, we're not understanding. It's like, but, but we're actually, we're pressing into him more and more. And it's in Christ that the veil is being taken away. And, and then it says, and whenever anyone turns to the Lord, whenever anyone, anyone sets their eyes and their heart upon Jesus, it says this veil is, is removed. Like these things that... And then it says, and now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And so we with unveiled faces, now with this veil being removed, now we behold Jesus. So Jesus is the one that brings the veil down, and then we behold Him, and as we behold Him, it says we become like Him. And so there's, like, and this is this greater understanding of who he is, but it's also a transformation of our lives, that we actually become transformed from the inside into greater measure from glory to glory, increasing glory to become more and more like him. But it's all Jesus. Everything about this is Jesus. Revealed by the Spirit. So Jesus, we just, we're in love with you, but we want to be more in love with you. We know you, but we want to know you. We're known by you, but we want to be known by you. We want to be known by you in, in a greater way. We want to know you in a greater way. We want to seek you with all our heart. Lord, take us into a greater understanding of who you are. Take us into this higher place. Take us out of our own mindset into where our eyes are just focused fully upon you. That we would gaze upon the beauty of the Lord all the days of our life. Oh, give us wisdom and understanding. It comes from your spirit, only by your spirit. We can't figure anything out with our own minds by the things of this world. It's foolishness. 
We have to have the mind of the Spirit. It's the only way we can see God. It's the only way we can behold Him. So God, remove all the veils. Remove the things that, it, that would hinder. It's that, that Hebrews 12 where it says, cast these things off. Take them away. Flee from those things. Remove all that stuff that we can run with perseverance. With our eyes set upon Jesus. The beginning and the end. The author and the perfecter. That's the, that we would not falter. That we would not that we would continue in that faith from beginning to end. He is our beginning, He is our end, and He is the beginning, and He is the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. <laughs> Jesus, you are all in all. So we just set our hearts upon you. Jesus, become the center of our life. Help us to remove all the other things. all the stuff that gets in the way on a daily basis. And this isn't a one-time thing. I just, like, this is that, that heart, that garden that, that we tend to. Weeds still grow up. We have to continually tend to the heart to say, Lord, purify my heart. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness by your blood. That's why he says, do it often. Do this often. Remember me often. Come back to me often. Come into a place of repentance often. Jesus, we look to you. So let's just worship him right now. Let's set our hearts fully upon him right now. Let's respond to just what Marcus has been sharing about who Jesus is, his beauty. 